Welcome to Transformation Church RVA. This sermon is a part of our series called Advent, All Longings Satisfied. In this series, we will be focusing on the hope, joy, peace, and love that only Jesus brings into the world. As we look back on the promise fulfilled in the birth of Jesus the Messiah, may we also look toward the promise of His return. Please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 21. We will read verses 34 through 36. If you do not have a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you, and it's our gift to you. Watch out. Don't let the hearts be dulled by carousing and drunkenness and by the worries of this life. Don't let the day catch you unaware like a trap, for that day will come upon everyone living on the earth. Keep alert at all times and pray you might be strong enough to escape those coming horrors and stand before the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Miss Sandra. Advent is my favorite time of the year. This word that means coming arrival means uh, we are looking back. We're, we're in, in, in an in-between period. Anybody the in-between child? Who's the middle child in the room? You're the middle child. Yeah. Our middle child is a little jacked up. I don't know if any of you other middle children can attest, but she's very special. She's emotional. She likes things a specific way, and if she doesn't have it that way, she throws a fit. This very much depicts living in this in-between time. You have the first advent, which is Christ being born as a baby. And we live in the in-between, looking forward to, so we look back at the first advent and look forward to the second coming. And he's not going to come as a baby that time. He's going to come as king, as Lord. And... um, It's going to be a very different time. It's not going to be a manger, quiet, you know, all the things you see depicted uh, about the first advent. It's going to be much different. The cloud's going to split wide open. Think about that. And so that's the time we're living in currently. This is what Advent is. And so at this time of the year, we talk about all our longings being satisfied in Christ. Specifically, for the next four weeks, what I want to get through, hopefully, the Word of God into your spirit that says Christ satisfies all of our longings. Every longing you have, Christ can satisfy. Um. If you're longing for a boat, he may not satisfy that. But I'm talking about the longings that are eternal, the things that matter. Um, For some of you, the boat is what matters. And maybe, hopefully, by the end of this, um, maybe you'll see that there's some other things that need to matter more. Um, But Christ satisfies all our longings. Now, we all have longings. We all have cravings, right? My wife... When she was pregnant, all three times, she had different cravings each time. This last time, she always had cravings for, and so this meant gas station runs at 11 o'clock at night, to find fast breaks, Reese's fast breaks. Do you know what that is? It's a candy bar. You like Reese's fast breaks? Um. And blue Gatorade. Reese's Fast Breaks and blue Gatorade. Some of the previous ones were weirder, so I was very obliged to go get these types of snacks. Um, I long for donuts on a regular basis. (laughs) So when we talk longings and cravings, typically we think food. But there are other longings and cravings. Some of us long for hope. And that's what we're going to talk about today. For four weeks, we're going to talk about four specific longings that Christ is sufficient for. This week, we'll talk about hope. 
Next week, we're going to talk about joy. Do you long for joy? Do you long for peace? How about love? Do anybody long for true, untangled love? These are all longings that Christ satisfies. Um, and we all know the feeling of what it's like to have hope or longings or those things ripped from us. Do you know that feeling? Have you ever, any sports fans, you're watching a sports game, it comes right down to the last few seconds of the game, and you just have so much hope building. Um, particularly if you watch Virginia Tech football, you know this feeling. Uh, just right down to it. Um, I, I like the Steelers, so uh, we just have no hope uh, most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. It's close sports game test results. Anybody ever been in school? Um, okay, nobody's been in school. Completely uneducated group here today. Fantastic. <laughs> Waiting for the test results to come back. I remember um, I had this teacher named Mr. Gulick for trigonometry in high school. Um, I don't know if you've gauged it yet, but I'm no math genius. Um, uh, I was good at lots of things. Loved history, um, loved science, but math, <sighs> I was no good at math. Uh, specifically, trig. And so there was this matter of my final grade for trigonometry for my senior year. Uh, kids nowadays are taking calculus. I'm pretty sure we had some kids taking calculus too. That was not me. Uh, I was just trying to graduate. Anybody know that feeling? Just trying to get across the line. Praise God. I was praying and Mr. Gulick, I, I remember taking our finals. I, I just remember hoping and longing. Oh God, I want to walk across the aisle in June with a cap. Just a cap. I, just, I, don't, I don't need any special tassels or, or robes. I just want to walk and... And I think he passed me just to get me out of his class. <laughs> but we know the longing for those, those types of things. Maybe it's sickness. Maybe you're waiting for the doctor's test results to come back. You, you know those hopes? Having those hopes snatched away. You know, you know what I'm talking about there. Maybe, maybe a relationship. We know what it is to hope something for a relationship. Maybe with our kids. Maybe with, with our um, our wives and husbands, our spouses, we have hopes, and, or our friends, and we've seen those hopes snatched away. Marital relationships, job opportunities, anybody ever have a job opportunity? Just, you're just really hoping, you're like, this is it, if I could, and then, just like that. It seems like hope can come and go so quickly. Right? Maybe you paid your tithe for three months in a row and you said, oh, the Lord owes me one, so I'm gonna go get a lottery ticket and I'm gonna win that $500 million. And you sit at home with that one ticket you bought and you say, this is it, this is the one. I just know it is. And just in one number, hope snatched away from you just like that. I know y'all don't do that. I know y'all don't do that, but. I've done that. You're hoping for health to turn around. Some of y'all look at the elections, um, in our government, presidential, or even local elections with such hope. Oh, this person's going to change everything. And nothing changes. Your hopes dashed as you watch the news results come in. Maybe, anybody ever said this? Maybe this time things are going to work out. If I just stack the cards just right. We make plans too. So, so we not only have these hopes, but then we make plans on these hopes. And then all of a sudden, not only are our hopes ripped away, but then also it changes all of our plans. Only to have things thwarted. Today, I want to talk about hope. 
hope. The text today, uh, just to put you where we are in the text, you remember a couple weeks ago we talked about Jesus seeing the widow throwing her, 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 her little change in, her couple pennies or whatever in? We're in that same chapter. You remember how I told you that that text was in between texts on judgment and what's to come? Well, what we're talking about today is what's to come. Jesus um, finishes addressing this widow, okay? And um, his, the, the word says prior to the text we're reading today that the disciples started talking about the temple. They started seeing how beautiful the temple was. Oh, look at all its jewels and look how beautiful it's built. And Jesus comes on the back side of their conversation about the temple and says, this temple is about to be torn down. Everything you see is about to be destroyed. Now this would have dashed some of their hopes. They thought Jesus was coming to fix something physical. They thought the Messiah was going to overthrow the government and get things back right. But in fact, he came to fix something spiritual. I think many of us come to the Lord the same way. We come to the Lord to fix our physical things, but we don't want him to touch anything down here in the spiritual, down here in the heart. We don't want him to change our mind. We just want him to change our situation. So Jesus talks about the future, and he talks about it in some what we call apocalyptic. Everybody say apocalyptic terms. He, he uses some pretty scary stuff. Not a bunch of fluff. And this is what he tells them. So he, he, he sets the stage with all this doom and gloom. What would seem to be doom and gloom. But then he says this. You're going to have to go through it. In fact, you're going to get persecuted. But guess what? This is going to give you an opportunity to tell others about me. How are you looking at the hardships around you today? Are you looking at your life? Think about it. Pause where you are. Everybody hit the pause button and think about your life and the things you're walking through. Think about the things you see on the news. And today, have you ever once thought to yourself, I want to use this as a platform for the gospel? If not, this was one of Jesus' leaving messages before you'd be crucified. You're going to go through it. I'm going to give you an opportunity to tell others. Now, he didn't use this to scare them. He didn't want to scare them. He wanted to give them courage. I have seen a drastic lack of courage, not only in my own heart, but in the church at large. He wanted to give them courage. He wanted to give them hope to lean in to the wreckage around them uh, that life would bring and put him on display. People don't need to hear your judgment and current events commentary to bring them hope. You know what they need? They need the hope of Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. That's what they need. And when he comes, he will come to make all things right. Whew. Can I tell you, the older I get, the more I'm ready for it. Seems like the longer I'm here on earth, the more my heart and mind, and the, honestly, the closer I get to the Lord, the more I just am eager for his return and to make all things right and to know that he can I don't know what you're walking through today, and, and I don't want to preemptively give my altar call here, but I, I want to tell you that there is one person who can make it all right, and it is Jesus Christ. He can make it right, and not in some future sense, today, today, today. Our hope is not in Christ insulating us from discomfort but our hope is in Christ keeping us and preparing us for redemption, the hope of glory. 
So let's look at the text. Miss Sandra started in 34. I'm going to rewind just a little bit so we can set the context here. In 25 through 28, um, we see he's, this, um, he's describing some weird stuff. Everybody say weird. Any sci-fi people in the room? This is it. This is your spot. This is your text. Weird. Like you. <laughs> Oh, you know it. You know it. You're a little weird. That's all right. I'm weird too. He's talking about some weird stuff leading up to the second coming of man. But right before this, what he is describing, and some people attribute this to the second coming of Christ, when really what it's talking about is the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, So starting in verse 7, if you go all the way back there, Jesus drops this bomb and says, hey, the temple's going to be destroyed. Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. And his disciples say, how are we going to know? Isn't this the, the question you ask? How am I going to know when this is coming? Don't you ask that question? Some of you just will plead ignorance, I guess. You're just, you just, they were wondering, how do I know when this is coming? And this is what he says. He, he starts talking about wars and earthquakes and famines and plagues and persecution. But what he's referencing is the destruction of Jerusalem. And then he takes a turn in 25. He begins telling about the signs that will point to the coming of the Son of Man. And can I tell you, it looks catastrophic. Look at this, verse 25. And there will be strange signs in the sun, moon, and stars. And here on the earth, the nations will be in turmoil, perplexed by the roaring seas and strange tides. Look at 26. This is wild. People will be terrified at what they see coming upon the earth. For the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud with power and great glory. So when all these things begin to happen, stand and look up, for your salvation is near. Um, A lot of your text may say redemption. And let me not downplay let me not downplay the fear here. Um, you see very similar imagery in Daniel 7. When Daniel was ta- talking about the second coming of the Lord in Daniel 7, a lot of the same type of imagery. Um, the picture is that of the birth of a new world. All of creation in labor. However, the labor will give birth to a wonderful new world where evil will be ended. Consider that. A world with no evil, where creation will be restored to God's design, it is therefore a time for hope and eager anticipation, with joy, not fear. Do you understand what I'm saying? When he he wasn't after scaring them, he was after telling them, hey, listen, there there is hope in this evil. There is hope in this wreckage. There is hope. In this disastrous scene that you look at, there is hope, and I am that hope. I am that redemption. 26 says people will be terrified. Uh, This Greek word is apopsiko, literally means faint. And in some some places in scripture, it, it means literally the scared the life out of. This is how fearful people will be in that day. They will be scared to death, literally. I like scaring people. Uh, Okay, I don't like scaring people, but I sure like to see somebody startled. You can ask my wife. I'll try and hide around every corner. She's used to it now. So is my mother-in-law. People have become game to my devices. I, I remember a particular scary story. My, my, um, my dad grew up in West Virginia. Anybody grew up in West Virginia? My dad grew up in West Virginia, and his oldest sister, she's gone on to be with the Lord now. Her name was Bonnie. They didn't have a toilet in the house. They didn't have a restroom in the house. Some of you don't know what that's like. But even when I grew up, when, when I was growing up, they still had what they called the outhouse. Still out there. You ever been in one of them? 
Ooh, boy. Talk about an adventure. <laughs> My dad told us this story where his oldest sister, Bonnie, hot, summer, and she went out to use the outhouse. They're all inside the house. She's, she's out there. Um, next thing they know, they hear a scream like they have never heard before. What had happened was Bonnie had gotten in there, started her business, and a snake swung down from the door, from the, from the roof of the door. Well, they heard a scream. Next thing you know, there's Bonnie running across the front yard with her drawers across her ankles. Scared to death, almost to death, almost to death, not, not quite to death. She made it. She made it out. Some of you would not have made it. You would have said, Lord, take me now. I, <laughs> I'm not leaving this place. Take me home, Jesus. But in that day, when the cloud cracks open, And the things in the sky are so turbulent that it affects things on earth. The waters, the tides, everything's acting weird. The things they see are going to create fear. But he doesn't want the people of God to feel fear. He wants them to feel hope. And then verse 28 has the promise here. So when all these things begin to happen, here's, here's the look. Are we gone when these things happen? No, because you're seeing them. This is what the disciples say. Look, this is what the Lord told them. So when all these things begin to happen, stand and look up for your salvation. Your redemption is near. It's not a time to rear back or go and hide in a hole. It's a time to square your shoulders and look up because you have hope. I hope that is unchanging. This, this, this word, redemption, salvation. The Greek word literally means uh, the liberty someone gets from captivity. Liberty from captivity. Usually with a ransom payment. Do you see where I'm going? The payment required uh, the ransom is a payment required to se secure freedom. The New Testament presents Jesus' death on the cross as, a, as the redemptive act for humanity. Mark 10 says he was a ransom for many. He was a ransom for many. This promise, this hope this redemption is near when these things begin to happen. Now, we can't, let, let, me, let me tell you what not to do real quick. Don't take this text and look for a bunch of literal applications. Um, the point of the text is not so you can draw a map. The point of the text is to give you hope and hear the promise that God intervenes decisively in our history. He intervenes decisively. It is not an accident. He's not in heaven just, oh, I don't know when I'm coming. He knows. And he is coming again. This isn't a threat. It's a promise. It's not a threat. It's a promise. He starts talking here for a moment about a fig tree, um, 29. Then he gave them an illustration Notice the fig tree or any other tree. When the leaves come out, you know without being told that the summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things taking place, you can know that the kingdom of God is near. I tell you the truth. This generation will not pass from the scene until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will disappear. But my word will never disappear. Let's take a moment to look at a couple things. One, this fig tree analogy, this tree analogy is meant just to reiterate what he just said. That when you see this, when you see a tree and its leaves coming out, what do you know? Spring is on the way. 
Or for some of you, some of you watching online today, Mary Lois and Claiborne watching online, when the leaves start to bloom, they know it's time to come back from Florida. (laughs) I can get back in Virginia and it'll be warm again. That's what he's trying to get at. These things are a sign, not of your demise, but of your redemption, of your hope. Everybody say hope. The coming of the kingdom will be a time when wrongs will be made right and God's people will be redeemed from the things that have been causing them suffering. And I can tell you today, I've never, never in my life looked forward to his return more than I am this very moment. Now, um, look at verse 33 here really quickly. Heaven and earth will disappear I don't want to miss this, but my words will never disappear. Do you see the contrast here? Everything we see will fade and disappear. We just talked about that at the beginning of the message. How quickly can our hopes be ripped away? Just like that. Just a blink of an eye. 2,000 years after Jesus' death, People still do mighty works in obedience to Jesus' word. Think about that. Day after day, the most unlikely people find their lives transformed by Jesus' word. Evil empire after evil empire has fallen, um, you name it, but the sun never sets on the proclamation of God's word. Never sets. Repressive governments persecute Christians and destroy churches, but are unable to stop people from spreading Jesus' words. Jesus' words do not pass away. They just keep building momentum. We can be assured that if the world lasts another 2,000 years, his word will remain. You and I will disappear From dust we came to dust we will return. But his word never fails. His word never fades away. His word never disappears. This should be comfort to you. Let me tell you why. Have you ever known that person that they say something and they they promise you something, but they may or may not actually come through on that? If you don't know that person, you might be that person. I've known people that way. A person's only as good as their word. Right? His word never disappears. His word never disappears. His word does not pass. His promises are certain. Our hope Everybody say hope. Our hope is secured. Our hope is not in Christ insulating us from discomfort, but in Christ keeping us and preparing us for redemption. Now to the point. Let's get down to what Miss Sandra read this morning. The very first two words here are watch out. I feel like I yell that all day long in my house. Whether it's McKinley, like trying to reach in a hot stove, or um, Macy paying attention to nothing and like tackling. I wish, oh, I wish I had put this up on the screen. The other day, I was washing dishes. So I was putting some dishes away, had some cabinets open, looking out, beautiful window over the sink. And I heard a scream. I knew that scream. It was a little baby, little baby maverick screaming. I come around the couch to see what's going on. And McKinley, you remember the middle one I told you about? This is her. She has taken a frying pan from the cabinet. And has placed said frying pan right on Maverick's head. And is just standing there with glee. 
I can't see his face for the frying pan. And I thought, oh, no. What's going to be under this frying pan? Watch out. Story of my life. Let me teach you two words. You want to learn something today? You ready? Because y'all are already bored out of your mind anyway. I can tell by your eyes. Look at you. Stay awake! Claiborne, wake up! Mary Lois hit him. Now, you ready? Eschatology. Are you ready? Say it with me. Eschatology. You know what that is? Eschatology is the study of last things. Eschatology is the study of the end times, what we believe about death and judgment and what's to come. Eschatology is the study of last things. Here's the other word. You ready? Look, you're going to sound so smart at Christmas dinner. You are going to sound so smart. Parousia. You ready? Say it. Parousia. Um, this is the term we use in theology in regards to Christ's second coming. The parousia, his second coming. Eschatology, parousia. You ready? That's what we're talking about today. The end times, what's to come? Why is there hope? I need to clear something up before we move on and get ready to close. A biblical view of last things, of the end times, should not result in navel-gazing, a bug-out cabin in the woods, staring at the sky for weird stuff to start happening for us to catch our chariot right out of here. A lot of the times when you hear teaching on the end times, it's all about, you know, it's just glass, crystal ball, and, and something that's supposed to affect me in the future. A proper biblical view and understanding of end times affects me today. How I live today. A biblical view of the end days. Look, if you have a bug out cabin, that's fine. Okay, I, some of you might have, you might be a hoarder of some sort. You're, you're waiting for the zombie apocalypse. Anybody? I see you. It's all right. You're, you have a home here. Y'all didn't think we had those? Oh, we have those. Yes, we do. They're all welcome in the kingdom of God. Some of y'all won't ever admit it. But what I'm saying to you is this. A biblical view of the end days should inform our lives today, this moment, and have implications in how we are living for Christ in the now. You see it in Revelations, you see it right here in this text. The point isn't for you to have some super futuristic knowledge of what's to come. The point is to affect how we live our lives today in anticipation of the hope we're speaking about. Let me put it in layman's terms. If this study today just says, oh, I have hope for tomorrow. No, you have hope for today. Oh, I should be, make sure I'm ready tomorrow. No, you should be ready today. What good would, would Christ give you, giving us this text be if it was for somebody else down the line? No, it is for you today. It is for you today. With that in mind, look at 34 through 36. There are three hurdles he lists in this text That will deter our hope. There are three things Jesus lists here that will deter our hope and our readiness. You ready? Very quickly. He says, watch out. Don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing. Anybody know what that was? Is? No, I had to look it up. I had to look it up. I had carousing. Um, Maybe you use that in your regular conversation. I have never had one person say, quit your carousing. No, nope, not one time. And it, if you do say that, please see me after service. 
I need to talk with you. The Greek word here is krupale, and in some of your uh, versions, it, it isn't actually carousing, it's dissipation. By dissipation, um, it's typically referred to as the nausea or confusion from drunkenness. Um, or indulging in extravagant, intemperate, or desolate, uh, dissolute pleasure, which tracks closely with the meaning here. Um, the very first thing you need to be careful of is this. Look at this other definition. I, I want you to hear this. Dissipation is a process in which energy is used or lost without accomplishing useful work. You see, you see what we're honing in here on the meaning of the text? What is carousing? What is dissipation? It means you spend your entire life expending energy on things that don't matter. Uh-oh. You thought that didn't apply to you until now. A condition in which energy and resources are expended to no useful purpose. Dissipation is the opposite of what? Stewardship. So instead of taking all the things that God has given us and utilizing them for kingdom purposes, we're wasting our lives. This is the number one thing that will get in front of your hope and readiness. This is the number one thing he lists is that people will waste their lives. I wonder if you're wasting your life today. God has given us resources. Dissipation squanders time, money, relationships, and lives. Man, please don't squander your life. Don't hunker down waiting for all, all, all the junk to hit the fan. God wants you to lean in. God has work for you to do. Number two, drunkenness. The second thing he says here is carousing or dissipation and drunkenness. This is the second thing that gets in front of our hope. Now, some of you aren't drunks. Some of you are. Some of you have been. Some of you have a temperance towards it. I'm not about to give a sermon on not drinking. But what I am going to tell you is, is that one of the things Jesus is concerned about here in our readiness and things that will deter our hope is that we run to things that will numb us and help us to forget. Anybody's life ever been so hard or you, you might be fighting battles that nobody sees. You know, sometimes when we talk about a hard life, um, sometimes our minds will go to things like uh, things people can see from the outside. But can I tell you, there are so many people that come in the house each week and they're fighting battles in the mind and battles in the heart that nobody would ever know. Battles in their marriage and battles with their kids. So they'll run to other things that will numb, that will help them to forget. He is telling us, maybe it's not drinking, but what are you, how can we be watchful if we're drunk with the things of this world? He's telling us, don't waste your life, don't numb yourself to it, and, and this, if, if the other, others have not affected you, this one will worry He says, watch out, don't let your hearts be dulled by carousing, by wasting your life, by drunkenness, numbing your life, or by the worries of this life. If, if dissipation is the opposite of stewardship, worry is the opposite of faith. Hey, hey, wake up. Worry is the opposite of faith. Like dissipation, worry consumes our energy without accomplishing anything. Worry is paralyzing. Worry is paralyzing. It'll have us clam up and shut the doors. 
We are as tired after a day of worry as we would a day of work. But work gives us a sense of achievement while worry only gives us high blood pressure. Worry makes it difficult to respond appropriately when we see danger approaching. Can I tell you something? Some of our members, some of the folks in here and online today, you're, you have a problem with drunkenness or numbing your life. You have a problem with wasting your life. But can I tell you the vast majority have a problem with worry. This is one possible focus. People in the pews will be surprised to learn that Jesus lumps worry together with drunkenness and dissipation. Think about that. Worry seems like such a mild thing, right? Oh, it's just a little worry. But it kills our spirits and worry kills our faith. Worry affects more Christians than dissipation and drunkenness combined. And oftentimes worry will drive us into wasting our life and trying to numb it. Why are people worried? They have no hope. I got a text last night asking me to pray for a family who just lost someone to suicide, took his life. 41 years old, took their life. And in texting with this sweet sister, I, one of the things I had mentioned was that today, this season that we're in, is filled with hopelessness. 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 We all know that feeling. We all know the feeling of having our hopes ripped away. So today I have questions. Are you worried? Are you feeling the weight of the brokenness around you? Are you running short on hope? Let me read Romans 8 to you. Starting in verse 18. And this may resonate in your spirit. Listen, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope. The creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. Verse 22, for we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't have yet, we must wait patiently and confidently. Paul, as he's writing this letter to the Romans, understands what it is to live in suffering. And to look at the world around us and say, what hope is there for this and is it a future hope or is it a now hope? It is both. 
We have a hope of his second coming. But that hope is good for today. Our hope is not in Christ insulating us from discomfort. Some of you think today that we become Christians and then all of a sudden um, God puts this little safety bubble around you. Today, as we look at a hopeless world, can I tell you, it is a hopeless world out there. There is one hope. His name is Jesus. If you are feeling that today, like something's right, this text is talking about groanings and longings, that the whole earth is groaning and longing for the day when Christ makes everything right. If you feel that longing for something to change as you look on the horizon, I am pleading with you today to look up. Look up! Place your hope in God. Hear me. All of our longings are satisfied. In Jesus Christ. All of our longings are satisfied in Jesus Christ. We're going to take communion today. We're also going to welcome some new members. But before we do that, I, I just want to take some time and pray. Is that okay? I, I think somebody might need prayer today. As the band begins to play and we begin to shift to close the service, I've got some leaders in here who will pray with you. I, I want to do that very quickly. If you're a leader in here and, and, and you, I want you to go ahead and come forward. If you are in here today and you're worried and you feel broken, you feel like, I just need Jesus, to step in and give me hope that has disappeared in my heart. With every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to respond today. If you would like prayer, I want you to go ahead and come forward. I don't, I don't want to miss this opportunity for Jesus to sweep your heart, to sweep your mind, to sweep your soul into his embrace, his hope, his goodness. If that's you today, I want you to come forward. If you need prayer, now is the time. Go ahead and come forward, and we're going to take just a moment to seek his throne. Father, today, you are so good to us. We know that your spirit is in this place to heal, that your spirit will meet us right where we are. Father, you are the hope that we have been looking for. For those online today, if you need prayer, I want you to go to tchurch.info right now and fill out a prayer request. I want you to fill out that card. Father, I know that you see not only those in the room, but you see those online today. Your hope isn't just for those in the building. Your hope is the same hope in Chesterfield, as it is in Richmond, as it is across the vast country that we have, across the globe, your hope is real and it's for today. Lord, help us this moment, help us in this time to shift our hope to you. God, that you would be made much of in our lives, that we would shed the worry, that we would shed the pain and exchange it for hope in you. We thank you, God, for what you're doing in our midst. Thank you, God, for being sufficient for our needs. God, today we know that you are near the brokenhearted. And so today, Father, as we get ready to close the service, Jesus, we know that you are with that family who lost a loved one. 
I know that you're with those friends and those moms and dads and cousins and siblings. Lord, you know. I ask that you would comfort them with your Holy Spirit today, that they would see hope in you. Oh, thank you, God. Everybody in the room, continue to pray. Continue to see God's face. Oh, we thank you, God. We thank you, God, for what you're doing in our midst, that you meet us right where you are, right where we are, God. You are not afraid of the mess. Lord, we ask that you would heal every broken heart. Everyone who's sick in body, God, I ask that your spirit would step in and move. Lord, as we enter the Christmas holiday, I ask that you would reach every lost loved one that we had, that your grace, your mercy would extend to them and draw them to yourself. That people would give their lives to you, Father. God, we pray for the nations who have not heard the gospel, that they would, that you would send, maybe us, Father, you would send us to reach those who have not heard about this hope, who have not heard about you as our Savior. Send us, God, use us in a a way that isn't in the background, but Lord, that you would send folks from within our congregation to reach those who have not heard the good news of the gospel. Oh, that people would see you and see the hope that we have in you today, God. We thank you for your presence that heals, that changes us. In the mighty name of Jesus, everyone said, amen. Hey, hey, listen. Why don't you give God praise this morning for what he's doing? Thanks for streaming this audio from Transformation Church RVA located in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, check out our website at www.transformationrva.com.